0: This episode is concerned with the word that is thought by many to be at the very top of the swearing tree. If you are easily offended or there are children in the vicinity, then please tell them to bugger off now. Any complaints should be mailed to Dr. Bramwell, the Auditorium Podcast, England. They will be looked at and filed in the Auditorium Biscuit Tin. The Auditorium. Fascinating talks. Passionate people. Disappointing presenters.
1: Oh, Hello and Eww. welcome to The Auditorium podcast um, with me, your host, uh, Dr. Bramwell, and my co-host. Yeah, me, whatever. That's Dave, Dave Mountfield there. I'm um, sorry, listeners, we're feeling a bit uh, a bit deflated today.
2: Demotivated um, is the word, Dave. It is, it is. Furious. It is. I haven't
1: got enough money in my pocket to buy myself a coffee today. I don't know about you.
2: Coffee? Um, tap water. When, are, me. I'm, when I'm are we going to get <laughs> paid?
1: When oh, are we going to get paid? I, I, were we even promised pay? I mean, I went into this assuming there'd be pay. We don't do this just for the love of it, do we? No, we, and do we, it. we expect there's going to be a p- packet at the end of it. me a minute.
2: Did you just hear a...
1: I thought I did. It must, it, must be There's This again. studio playing up again. This, studio, this studio is awful. This it, studio is it's, it's like it's made out of corrugated iron and a bit of cardboard. <laughs> I mean, the production values are just... Yeah, that, sh- can you even call them production values? They're you, non-existent. You, sounds like I couldn't... I heard a...
2: Did you hear a beep? I got beep... I got beep no. saying production value. So did you. Did, what, that same happened again. Look. There again. That's weird. That's weird. This is going to get on well with the audience, isn't Yeah, yeah.
1: It? I mean, we, we're going to have nobody listening. We're going to have zero popularity. <laughs> what? Popularity? It's what? happening again. What's going on, Dave? Well, hang on. So I, I've said popularity, Yeah. production values, and, and pay. Pay. I don't... Dave, Dave, can you stop that, please? You're stepping on the three words that you can't say in podcasting. What are you okay? talking about? I mean, as a self-appointed vice president and adjudicator of the Guild of Master Podcasters... There are a set of words that have been decreed that you can't actually say during the course of a formatted podcast like this.
2: You're joking,
1: and those words are the words you've just been using. So, can you kind of cease and desist on them? Well, well no,
2: no, Clarify at least which ones can we not say? It's not really. I shouldn't really. Well, just, you know, just come on, it's okay. Us. Okay, look, it's, it's just
1: profit, right? Profit, production values, right? Popularity, not in a podcast like this. Yeah, the other podcasts. Some of the other podcasts they are allowed to. We can't. All right. Okay. Well, technically, so, we said we said <laughs> pay. We didn't say. Uh, t- 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 so any any related sort of. Mm. Yeah. Just. Um, this is nothing but censorship. I'm disgusted. by you this. Dead? I mean, like we moved out of out of highly paid jobs at Radio Four well, no, to come and do really. this podcast we because sacked. because of the freedom of speech. Which which I mean, on Radio. Could 4, you say Asperger on Radio Four? No, no, and that's why we we came to do the podcast so well, we can say Asperger. Say, exactly. say Asperger. I don't want to say You're Asperger. You're
2: prescribing our freedoms, but I've got
1: a job to do. All right. You know you the do one. You your what? job. I do mine. I'm not happy about this. I tell oh, you sorry. what, though. It does neatly segue into our speaker, though. What does it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. You're we've kidding got... me. No, I'm not. I'm not. What are the odds <laughs> on that? I don't know. What, uh, but we. How does it segue? Well, we've got Kate Warwick speaking today, and she's chosen as her subject the c-word, the great um Taboo. verbal verbal bombshell, yeah. which one drops in in radio and television and at, at great risk at great risk and a great expense to the to the radio and television stations yes. and she's exploring the etymology of the C word and its uses and abuses over the centuries and and how it is really just sort of the last word in English that would still shock and cause more complaints uh, than than any other I and, can see uh, that. and yeah. she's going to be talking about it about
3: carpets (laughs) my mother told me off for calling somebody a cunt when I was about 14 she said they don't have the warmth or the depth which is like oh (laughs) mum and I think I think that's why it's so shocking because I don't think we think about I'd call you a cunt we don't think about the warmth and the depth it's changed it's meaning so why is it so offensive this talk isn't about um the patriarchy or sociology or the links to disease or any of that all all of those clearly have something to do with it but this is about why linguistically it should be such a difficult word and where it's come from um oaths were the big way of swearing things like gore blimey is a corruption of god blind me and drat is a is a corruption of god rot your bones so It's that kind of Shakespearean um, swoons for God's wounds. It's the the idea that God is a being, is a thing, who you could affect with your words. That's what uh, they used as kind of swear words um, during that period. And we think that what's happened is that... um, both as our perception of God changed and as people's living arrangements changed, they no longer lived in these great sort of communal um, halls and things, but started to live more privately, that the idea of swearing um, about and using God as a way of swearing moved on. (coughs) Um, And we started to use scatological and sexual words as swear words. So how did it progress? Clearly, there's been some kind of extent. We call it meaning extension in linguistics. Basically, it's changed from the literal to the abstract, which is the bit that I'm really interested in. Um, And and meaning like that, change like that doesn't happen you know, it doesn't kind of stop being one thing and start being another. We have lots of different layers of meaning. So we start to see uh, it being used as about a promiscuous woman or a woman who's sexually interesting to a man. So Pepys uses it in his diaries to make all the cunts in town run after him so it's not just about women's bits it's actually about her and this is this is still being used by um, that's Henry Miller this is still being used by Henry Miller in the f- kind of early part I think this is 1930s in um, I have a copy of the Tropic of Cancer that I read for my dissertation and, and I went through, I started off circling the word and it appears kind of five times if so you ever come across a copy of the Tropic of Cancer it's got every word circled it's mine um, so but Miller is still using this, this layer of meaning to mean a woman and I had to look at the British National Corpus which is a, million, a billion words uh, written and spoken in English and only 206 of them are cunt um, but they, there's an example there are fucking bloody women they're spoiling everything those two troublesome cunts so even in the 1990s we can still see it used um, to refer to women. Then we get it gets more interesting, and this is a bit dubious. It's disputed by linguists. There's not really enough proof for this, but I quite like. I think this is, I think we're gonna find more proof of this, that's my plan. So this is gross of the vulgar dictionary, the vulgar tongue. And he describes Kant as a nasty name for a nasty thing. Now we think that this is copied from somebody else who'd made a mistake or made it up or was being vindictive or whatever. But it also appears in the OED um, sexual intercourse as as in to do the nasty and it appears as the nasty performance in the the British National Corpus. So this kind of nastiness uh, starts to creep in. And uh, there's also an argument that this began um, with Chaucer and anybody who's you know spent a-level classes reading the miller's tale will know this couplet um and i think it's pronounced quente is uh, here it's being used to um describe the clerk being uh, being crafty and kind of um you know operating below the radar i suppose but it's also twinned with the very literal meaning um, of the same word so we think that perhaps this even in Chaucer's day we're beginning to see a movement away from just the literal not particularly offensive word towards something that is much more um, offensive and then in the 21st century partly because it's not a word that was written down very often but we don't see this meaning that we probably all understand at a despised, unpleasant, annoying person placing a task appear until the late 19th, early 20th century. If we first see it out of the First World War, um, Manning wrote a great novel about the First World War and this is the first time we see it in reported speech of soldiers using it about officers or the other way around. So it's the first time we see men using it by men and about, it's used by men and about men. Where do we get to in the 21st century? The literal version is still present, particularly in writing, but in speech we tend to use the connotative form. It tends to be, we refer to somebody, we mean that they're nasty and mean, not very pleasant. But I don't feel this is enough because that's all well and good we can all understand that that's you know how the meaning extends and it becomes but why cunt why not twat or gash or minge or plonker or anybody know any others or um or cock why not any of these and and why is it that in french and spanish it tends to be a word that's um used to mean idiot rather than to mean a nasty piece of work so I think that the sound is important, is particularly important. There are lots of other words for the same that mean the same thing literally, but don't have the same impact and haven't developed this level of nastiness. So we then look at what makes a swear word. Well, you know, they're usually harsh, they're usually short, they've usually got K and G and short vowels in them. So I was just going to talk briefly through what that sounds like. So we begin with a strong voiceless plosive, which is just a K to you and me. And uh, David Crystal says that it's especially the voiceless veloplosives that appear a lot in swear words. Um, then we get the short back vowel, which is the kind of H. Huh, it's the uh sound of the word, which is probably nasalized by the following N, and then ends with an explosive T. Um, that you especially hear in East London that tch- sound at the end of it which really um, it's really expressive So perhaps it's also the sound that makes it so offensive. I think it's probably the sound that makes it more offensive than twat, which is a bit... Cock really should be much more offensive than it is. Uh, Wanker is described as having a kind of syncopation. Um, I don't know about that. And there's also the argument about southern and northern vowels, bastard as opposed to bastard. Is it really... I had a friend of mine from the Midlands who had kind of short of vowels and you said you can't swear properly with a southern accent it's bastard not a bastard so there we go um, so I think that's perhaps why we get the why cunt has become so offensive but um Stephen Pinker tells us it's also about what we hear that it's not just the meaning or the sound. It's the combination of the two things and the fact that we can't not hear it. Once we've learnt these words, and we think that swearing, we think from research from, into Tourette's and people who've had bits of their brains cut out as a result of <coughs> strokes and things, that swear words are stored in the limbic system along with song lyrics and prayers and irregular verbs and all those things we have to learn by heart. And there's an involuntary connection When we hear the word, we can't not make that connection. And that's why we have euphemisms, really. It's it's a way of honouring people by saying, I'm not forcing you to think of these things in my presence. I'm just... Well, obviously I am. um, I'm just kind of, you know, alluding to them. So that we... It's the combination of the two things. It's the combination of the sound which unlocks the meaning, which helps to make it so offensive. And I think there are another couple of things after that. There's the shape. There's the, sound, the shape that it makes in your mouth, the expressive feeling of getting rid of that kind of aggression. So I think it's down to layers of meaning, the short harsh sound, the fact that we can't not hear it, that it has a satisfying shape to say. But also, um, there's one more thing. The power. And there's... Um, it's shocking not just because of the meaning but, and because of the way it sounds but because of the physical satisfaction of lobbing this hand grenade into the conversation. And obviously you can't have a conversation about Cunt without mentioning Jermaine Greer who changed her opinion about reclaiming it. Having said, I think we should reclaim this word like lots of different uh, words have been reclaimed by various communities. She says, I think it's extraordinary, powerful reminder of who we are, where we've come from. It should be used sparingly. But I like that, that you can hold people below the waterline with it. Although, I'm not so sure that Paul godwin claude and Beth Wilder-Cunt would uh, agree. That's it. Thank you very much.
1: That was Kate Warwick talking about the c word, and it got me thinking, Dave, about... Oh, yes. Woody Allen's films that I that I remember watching many many years ago. I, I don't know about you, I'm a big fan of his, I, earlier, I, I, funny I like his earlier funny films. Earlier funny films, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and it was deconstructing Harry, which I think was late eighties. And it was, I re- remember his character, which was Woody Allen playing Woody Allen, as we know. <laughs> and uh, I think he was a writer in this film. Yes, he and, was. <laughs> Usually, because he's normally a plumber, isn't he? Yeah. And and he well, actually, and yeah. he says cunt, and I remember that word coming out of Woody Allen's mouth just seemed wrong. It was wrong. It was very wrong.
2: It was is, it is like catching the Pope uh, reading Playboy or something. It just didn't feel right, you know. And, it, uh, and
1: it, I think it demonstrated to me that that word can still have an incredible uh, shock value, even when you think that you can't be shocked. It depends where you come from. If you come from Glasgow,
2: cunt is just sort of thrown in as a, as a free extra. Mm. You know, I I remember walking along the street, I was doing a show um, uh, with Jerry Sanovitz, the noted comedian, um, and he has lots of fans uh, up in Edinburgh, and we were walking across Edinburgh, and this huge bloke came up with, Hey, you're Jerry Sanovitz! Hey, that's right, yeah. I love you, you're a cunt. And it wasn't meant in the sort of, you're a cunt, as mm. we would say it. It's, 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 the, it entire, a, and
1: the exact opposite. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> Term <laughs> of endearment. Right. But it is, it is, and the same is true in, in Australia as well. You can say, ah, he's a good cunt in Australia. But in Britain and in, in America, it is the atom bomb of swearing. But I have a, I have a theory for this, Dave. Go on, share it. <laughs> I was hoping you might ask that. <laughs> you did take an inordinately long time. <laughs> My theory is that it's because we let swearing go. We in the same way that we've neglected, you know, our, our glorious eighteenth century recipes for pies and things like that, we've we've become the convenience food of swearing. We've boiled our swearing down into sort of ten or twelve standard words. Uh, whereas Australia because every, everybody got sent over there in the 17th and 18th century and they when when swearing in Britain was at its height we were absolutely brilliant at coming up with curses all manner of different types of curses you know uh, a shitebed scoundrel or a lully lubbock slave or a French crown wearer the, the, the swearing in the 17th and 18th century or, or rather I should say cursing was second to none and they of course got moved there and got isolated effectively and came up with their own swearing ecosystem which survives to this day so we have this wonderful uh you know richness of of cursing and swearing in australia which is which has been largely lost to us apart from in places like um uh, Newcastle, which is very inventive in its own but again of course geographically cut off from the rest of the country and therefore able to ha- to have its own little sort of red squirrel area of swearing. But let me just give you a few examples here from a list of swearing I could eat the arse end out of a low flying duck. <laughs> That's just a way of saying I'm hungry. Fuck me running means uh, you know I'm exhausted. Or face like a busted asshole. I mean isn't that a wonderful <laughs> obviously for someone who's, who's less than less than pretty. Bangs like a dunny door on a prawn trawler. <laughs>
1: That's Could you explain that one?
2: That is a, 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 a toilet a le- toilet
1: door on a on a fishing vessel.
2: Yes, that's right, and that's a Sheila who, <laughs> who likes to root a lot. But of course, root meaning uh, have sex. Let's see, about as useful as an arsehole on your elbow. That's self-explanatory, so <laughs> but it's also wonderful, isn't it?
1: But I guess this also ties um, in with things like Viz and, and Rogers Profanosaurus. Exactly, we do. We do. Yes, I guess it is, isn't it? it You're is, right, yeah. Newcastle.
2: Yeah. No, the the, 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 the Viz. Um, course, Neil Tennant said about Viz, the rest of the country sees Viz as sort of this, you know, fairly... Neil pure. Tennant from the Pet Shop Boys? Yes. Um, he said that the rest of the country sees it as this sort of surreal and, you know, puerile humour. He said, if you come from Newcastle, it's merely a document of reality. <laughs> it's just a documentary. You know, that's, and I've spent some time in Newcastle, and it's a wonderful uh, place. And there is an entirely separate sense of, of self that is... Saturday Night in the Big Market is like a vision from Dante's Inferno. It's quite extraordinary, the the vibrant sense of violence. They're like gremlins. They're very friendly. Then after midnight, they're murderous. And and it, it goes back, I don't know, to the Dane Geld or something. There's an entirely different energy
1: up there. You've, and that's reflected in their language. You've got me nostalgic for Viz. I haven't bought a copy of Viz for eight. I'm going to... After this podcast, I'm going to go and buy myself... Go do it. Actually, hang on a sec.
2: What have you got there? Well, nothing. Can you lend us a quid? Oh gosh, we're on the p-word again, aren't we?
1: <laughs> oh no, we haven't been paid have we? No, oh, yet. he's doing it again. Yeah. The production value is, uh, honestly. Well, I'm... it doesn't
2: matter. It's not like anyone listens. You know, what's our p- popularity like?
1: Absolute, absolute zero. I'm going to have to borrow some some money off off um off my girlfriend again. You got a girlfriend? Well, well, I've, I've had to pay for. Oh, <laughs> no, I used to... Oh no, he's. Closing... I'm off to work on the Illusionist now. <laughs> What are you doing? We have that woman Zoltz Lance if you're what? not Well oh, wait a second <laughs> I don't
0: know you got B for saying her name Zoltz <laughs> <laughs> Right that's the end of the show The Auditorium is presented by Dr David Bramwell And Mr David Mountfield The producers are Lance Dan And Andrew Mayling you can discover more about the show at oddpodcast.com, where you can find out about upcoming events and festival shows. If you'd like to give a talk about something that you're passionate about, then email us at contact at oddpodcast.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at oddpodcastuk. Talks from the Auditorium are featured in Ernest Journal, a magazine for the curious and adventurous. If you like The Auditorium, then please leave a review for us on iTunes.